Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Ottawa police beginning to take action against protesters near the Canadian Parliament. They arrest two Freedom Convoy organizers and tow away over a dozen vehicles. U.S. troops are on standby in Poland and President Biden again calls for diplomacy from Putin. We bring you the president's remarks and we take a look at how this conflict is hitting close to home as gas prices continue to rise. Dante Wright's case is finally coming to a close. The former Minnesota police officer who mistakenly killed him was sentenced today. Prosecutors pushed for the maximum sentence and the judge said it was one of the saddest cases in her career. A discovery made during a child predator sting operation has embroiled Meta. The target admits to engaging inappropriately with a boy and he confirms his employment with Meta. We have the company's response. And threats at home and abroad. The White House today names who it believes is behind the cyber attacks in Ukraine. Is the U.S. in danger of similar attacks? Ottawa police are starting to arrest Freedom Convoy protesters and towing away trucks. They began last night by arresting two of the leading organizers. Police warn that anyone inside the designated protest zone will be arrested. NTD's Allison Lee has the latest. Ottawa police say that as of 3 p.m. Friday afternoon, they've arrested 70 protesters and towed away 21 vehicles. Police have sealed off much of the downtown area to prevent people from going there and helping the protesters. They say anyone who's present in the protest zone will face arrest. Looks like right now they've got a perimeter around the uh, what would be considered the red zone. So at all the exits and entrances they have barricades like this with uh, armed police, armored trucks. Police made their first move Thursday afternoon after warning that action was imminent. They first arrested two lead organizers of the convoy, Chris Barber and Tamara Litch. Authorities charged them with mischief and obstructing police. They appeared in court on Friday. By Friday morning, hundreds of armed officers, some in riot gear, have entered the protest zone near Parliament Hill. Some protesters surrendered, but many remain defiant. I don't want to get arrested today because I want to be able to continue fighting my fight. And I've heard word that, you know, if I do get arrested, I'll have to sign a paper saying I'm not coming back to Ottawa. But we need to go somewhere. This is my right to be here. In a Twitter post, protest organizer Benjamin Dichter urged protesters to leave and pleaded with Ottawa police to let the truckers leave in peace. He says one of the Freedom Convoy drivers had his truck window smashed by police, who then dragged him out of his vehicle by force. And during the standoff on Friday, some protesters pleaded with the officers. You guys know it's wrong. You've known it forever. You're just trying to keep your jobs. You're trying to keep your pensions. Why don't you think about the millions of other people out there? The Canadian Parliament cancelled its Friday session over the events. Parliament is currently debating Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Emergencies Act, which needs formal approval by Parliament. So far, there are enough lawmakers who support its use. Alison Lee, NTD News. At the White House today, President Biden spoke with NATO allies and gave updates about the anticipated Russian invasion into Ukraine. NTD's Melina Wisecup brings us those updates along with a closer look at how this overseas conflict is impacting your price at the pump. After a call with NATO allies, President Biden gave official updates on a Russian invasion, warning Putin has decided to invade. As of this moment, I'm convinced he's made the decision. We have reason to believe that. An attack could involve jets, tanks, missiles and cyber attacks. Today, detailed reports reveal that the number of troops along the border has nearly doubled in just two weeks' time, from 100,000 on January 30th to now 190,000. U.S. troops are now on standby in Europe. Whenever we place an American soldier somewhere, it demonstrates our resolve. Today, Russian-backed separatists called for an evacuation in eastern Ukraine, claiming Ukraine was going to attack. Western officials say this is just the latest false flag operation for Russia to justify an invasion. Yesterday, a kindergarten in Ukraine was struck by artillery shells, wounding civilians. And Ukraine's military says Russia-backed troops were behind the attack. Officials say avoiding a war appears dim, but Biden insists he's keeping the door open for diplomacy. 
Oh, until he does, diplomacy is always a possibility. And this overseas conflict has already hit home here at the pump. You may have noticed that you're paying a bit more for gas, especially over this past month. That's because prices have gone up 30 cents per gallon. Probably 85% of the recent run-up in the last two months, we can attribute uh, to the increased risk as a result of those tensions. And the worry is that Russia produces about 10% of global oil supply. Uh, if the U.S. responds to any incursion with sanctions, Russia could retaliate by limiting oil exports. This is the seventh week in a row gas prices have climbed. One energy expert says we could see prices rise as high as $7 per gallon, but others have more modest predictions. I would say $4 a gallon is likely at some point in March or April. Beyond that, um, you know, if the worst case scenario happens, we could see a national average that approach $5. I don't think it would get there, but I don't think Americans can count on really any relief until later this year. Analysts say we should expect to pay around $4 per gallon through the spring and through the summer. The White House right now is brainstorming ways to lower these energy prices, and Congress members have introduced a gas tax holiday that would lower the price of gas by about 18 cents per gallon. But so far, no solid action has been taken on this just yet. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Kim Potter, the former Minnesota police officer who mistakenly drew a gun instead of a taser, was sentenced today. The judge said it's one of the saddest cases she's seen during her 20 years on the bench. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Former police officer Kim Potter was convicted of first and second degree manslaughter after she mistakenly shot and killed Dante Wright. Wright's family asked that Potter get the maximum sentence possible, seven years and two months in prison. China Marie Whitaker is the mother of Wright's only child. Every time I look at my son, I'm reminded of what was taken away from him. I show my son pictures and videos of his dad, and his face lights up with the biggest smile, and he says, Dada. My heart wanted to see remorse, sadness in her eyes. I wanted to see her mouth the words, I'm sorry, but she sat there with such entitlement and privilege. She never once looked at us passing through the hallways every day. Potter's attorney, Paul Ang, argued for a lesser sentence based on her lack of prior criminal history and her remorse for Wright's death. He also said Kim has received three boxes of letters of support since she's been in prison. Potter turned away from the judge and faced Wright's family for her comments. Earlier when you said that I didn't look at you during the trial, I don't believe I had a right to. I didn't even have a right to be in the same room with you. I am so sorry that I hurt you so badly. The judge pointed to four factors behind the purpose of incarceration, retribution, incapacitation, deterrence, and rehabilitation, three of which she said didn't apply to Potter. Retribution or serving time as a way for a convicted person to pay for the harm inflicted on a victim is the sole purpose that applies in this case. She then sentenced Potter to two years in prison. Potter will be required to serve two-thirds of her sentence in prison, according to state law. That's 16 months. And with good behavior, she'll be eligible for supervised release for the remaining eight months. The spokeswoman for the National Police Association says she doesn't think Potter should have been charged with the crime because it was a mistake. And she said many police officers can relate to Potter. M. Potter is all of us, and she is a good police officer, made a terrible mistake, and now is going to prison. Wright's family was not happy with the verdict, and Wright's mother said she felt cheated and hurt by Potter's sentencing. Jason Perry. NTD News. Phoenix police on Thursday released the body camera footage of last week's ambush and barricade situation that left five patrol officers shot and four others injured by shrapnel or ricochets. A warning that the following footage may be disturbing for some viewers. The graphic footage shows a police officer walking toward a home where a woman had been shot around 2 a.m. last Friday. The woman later died. Her baby was at the home during the standoff and was unharmed. In the video, a man raises a handgun and fires at least six shots at the policeman 
who was severely wounded on his right arm and couldn't return the fire. The officer is heard running away frantically and calling for help. And the nine police officers who were shot or injured during the incident were all released from the hospital and are reportedly recovering. A group in Indianapolis is putting the spotlight on child predators and their latest sting is getting national attention. That's because their target worked for Meta at the time. NTD's Miguel Moreno has that story. This sting operation was live streamed on YouTube by Predator Catchers Indianapolis. Okay, so you are okay to talk sexual to 13-year-old Corey because you knew in your head that you would not meet up with him. That, that was my rationale. That's Jaron A. Miles, who at the time said he was Meta's manager of community development. In his hotel room, Predator Catchers interrogated him. They read message logs between Miles and a person who claimed to be a 13-year-old boy named Corey. 36-year-old Miles eventually admits on camera to flirting and to telling Corey he wanted to have sex with him. So you said, we'll get together. So again, you told him for a third time that you will make it happen. And that, that this time, you said you were on Yes or no? I did say that. Predator catchers said Miles let them into his hotel room. Meta has confirmed that Miles worked for them. In a statement to NTD News, a Meta spokesperson said, The seriousness of these allegations cannot be overstated. The individual is no longer employed with the company. We are actively investigating the situation and cannot provide further comment at this time. We tried contacting Miles, but we couldn't find his email or phone number. After the sting, a member of Predator Catchers Indianapolis explained that they exposed predators to alert communities. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. Violent crime is on the rise in New York City, especially in the subway system. Things seem to have gotten out of hand. Today, a seemingly shocked mayor announced that things are going to change dramatically underneath the Big Apple. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more. There are rules. <laughs> there are rules to write in the system. The system is not made to be housing. It's made to be transportation. The mayor says some homeless and mentally ill people are basically living in the subway cars and stations. According to him, the subway has become an unlawful place because of that. No more smoking, no more doing drugs, no more sleeping, no more doing barbecues on the subway system, no more just doing whatever you want. Breaking the rules isn't the biggest problem. The mayor says some homeless and mentally ill people are posing a threat to themselves and to others. This year in the subway system, innocent passengers have been killed and drug addicts have died of overdoses. The mayor acknowledged that many of these individuals don't want to leave the subway. So the city might increase the use of Kendra's law. That's a statute passed in 1999 after an individual with untreated mental illness pushed a woman into the path of an incoming train, killing her. It basically allows judges to order psychiatric treatment for mentally ill people. The governor of New York announced that the state will support the treatment. We've agreed to an increase in the Medicaid reimbursement. The state's share would be a 10% increase. And the federal government, we're asking to match that. So it'd be a 20% increase in how our hospitals are reimbursed when it comes to providing psychiatric beds. The mayor also announced new outreach teams. Those teams will consist of mental health experts, doctors and more. They'll be supported by the NYPD and might be enforcing Kendra's law to stop people from living in the subway. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. This morning, severe weather causing major traffic in Illinois. More than 100 vehicles were involved in multiple crashes on the interstate. NTD's Chenny Wu brings us the details. A massive 100-car pileup shut down a 30-mile stretch of Interstate 39, which runs from Illinois to Wisconsin. Authorities say Interstate 39, north of Bloomington, Illinois, was closed Friday as crews worked to untangle nine passenger vehicles and 19 commercial vehicles, as well as retrieve dozens more that slid off the icy roadway on Thursday. 
No injuries were reported. The accidents were caused by winds gusting up to 40 miles per hour and poor visibility during a major storm that swept through the Midwest and other parts of the country. State police say authorities were able to escort all the stranded motorists to warming centers. Later in the afternoon, the Illinois State Police tweeted that the northbound lanes of Interstate 39 between Normal and Minonk have reopened, but the southbound lanes remain closed. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Avocado imports from Mexico are resuming immediately. The U.S. Ambassador to Mexico, Ken Salazar, says the U.S. is lifting a ban on inspections of Mexican avocados. This comes after the two countries agreed to, quote, enact the measures that ensure the safety of agricultural inspectors. Last week, the U.S. Department of Agriculture halted imports of Mexican avocados. That's because an inspector with the agency was threatened in Mexico's largest avocado-producing state. That state is also the only state certified to export to the U.S., but they're having a problem with drug gangs. Suspending avocados threatened Mexico's $3 billion annual exports, and it would have increased prices for American consumers. About 92 percent of U.S. avocado imports currently come from Mexico. Louis Vuitton is raising its prices globally. While people say it's inevitable since their costs have gone up, could there also be another reason? NTD's Evelyn Lee has more. Luxury brands are raising prices on their items, and it seems that people are buying even more. We have a degree of uh, flexibility on our prices. So in the face of inflation, we have the ways and means to react. In the LVMH earnings call, executives announced that 2021 was a record year, and fashion and leather goods especially contributed to that. But on the heels of record sales, Louis Vuitton increased prices this week. The fashion giant says it's because of rising costs and inflation. The president of Alter Created Diamonds, Amit Shah, says cost increase is not the only reason to raise prices. While that is an important part, there's an important part that comes after that, which is protecting margins, protecting brand equity, and also uh, removing the price instability on a global level. Shaw says Southeast Asia, for instance, pays almost 30 percent more than Europe for the same branded products. This is a disparity they want to remove. One of the most important things for luxury brands is desirability and how much consumers think they're worth. Shaw says there's a correlation between that and price increases. When we talk about brand desirability, you know, there is a unspoken uh, mindset that when the prices for any brand consistently go up, up over a period of 5, 10, 20 years and they actually beat inflation rate, the consumer starts thinking of it as an investment versus an expense. And LVMH is not the only company that experienced a great year. Gucci owner Kering reported revenue that's 13% compared to 2019. And Cartier owner Richemont says sales grew by almost 40%. I think the consumers should expect an increase in almost all uh, branded product products and brands to be raising prices. Shaw says with high inflation, it's easier for consumers to digest the price increases. And for luxury brands, it's important to stay ahead of inflation to keep their brands desirable. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. In cryptocurrency, a while back we reported on the Squid Game token, which turned out to be a scam. The coin had nothing to do with the popular TV show of the same name. Now more copycat coins are popping up, mimicking luxury car brands and even Hollywood movies. But the coins have absolutely nothing to do with the big name brands at all. So how do you spot crypto scams? NTD's Phil Zoe has more. Fake crypto coins are popping up everywhere naming themselves after brands like Tesla and the Jurassic Park movies. Name it whatever you want. You can even grab a, a famous brand uh, name such as Gucci and, and call it Gucci coin. If it includes a company name, it's likely a scam. You'll see coins that come out of left field uh, associated with things like they have a name, a brand they try to use, like mini Tesla or something like that. It uses the logo and, the, and a car. 
The co-founder of Bitcoin IRA, Chris Klein, says just because a coin is listed online, that does not mean it's authentic. Things folks do is they think, oh, it's on coin market cap, so that must be it's real. Really, you should look at where can you access the coin. Meaning, check to see if the coins are available at the larger exchanges like Coinbase and Kraken. If they're only available on smaller and lesser known exchanges, beware. But there's exchanges that will list everything, right? Uh, it's part of that open source mentality of crypto. Blockchain developer Daniel Logvin says if a coin only focuses on how much gains and money it's making, that's a red flag. Serious blockchain technology companies are mostly focusing on spreading information about their progress, about their developments, about their future plans, and not about how much money can an investor make. Logvin says don't be misled by large social media followings. Sometimes the numbers are bogus. All of these projects are buying bots to, to make it look like they're really popular when they are not. The crypto world, everything is based on marketing. Entrepreneur Anthony Miller says it's too easy for scammers to create their own crypto coin. That's why there are so many copycats on the market. For very little money, you can create your own um, you know, coin and trading platform. Miller says he's been approached by people from China, India, and the Philippines. People have come to me and they said that they could create coins for me, ERC coins for like 900 bucks. They could create a whole trading platform for me for like $2,000. He says if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Coming up, Ennis Cantor Freedom, the outspoken NBA player, is facing a career turning point. But he says he has no regrets over speaking the truth. And postponed medal ceremonies at the Olympics mean some U.S. athletes won't be able to take home their medals. That and more here on NTD News. NBA free agent Ennis Cantor Freedom has been outspoken on China's human rights abuses. He says the NBA has been trying to silence him for speaking against the Chinese Communist Party. But he has no regrets, even if it costs him his career. In the past two days, Ennis Cantor Freedom has received a warm welcome from Capitol Hill among senators. The support comes after the Houston Rockets released the center. Freedom has publicly condemned the Chinese Communist Party's human rights abuses, including organ harvesting. He says Chinese authorities and the NBA have been paying close attention to him and have also been trying to silence him. Two years ago, when the Houston Rockets GM tweeted about, you know, Hong Kong, NBA wanted to, you know, silence everybody. I got a call from my agent and said, the whole China, the whole Chinese government are watching um, your Twitter. Do, do not say anything. And Celtics made me media unavailable for two weeks. At an award ceremony in Washington, D.C. last night, Freedom talked about why he started to focus on China, and it all began at a basketball camp last summer in New York. I remember one of the parents called me out in front of everybody and said, how can you call yourself a human rights activist when your Muslim brothers and sisters are in concentration camps and getting tortured and raped every day? I was shocked. I couldn't say anything. I turned around to that parent, and I promised, said, I'm going to get back to you. So that day, I canceled everything. I went back to my hotel and started to study and started to learn about what's going on over there. Freedom was traded from the Boston Celtics to the Houston Rockets last Thursday, but the Rockets released Freedom on that same day. I talk about the issues that are happening in China. I lost my career. To be honest, it is a lonely road. I'm talking about in a sports world. You can talk about all the social justice, all the you know, injustices that are happening around the world, but when it comes to China, you cannot speak up. If do, then you have to face the consequences. But after learning all this, I just, if I didn't speak up about all these issues that are happening over there, I wouldn't be able to go to sleep, you know? But uh, I have no regrets. I want to tell you guys that I have no regrets. I, he says many of his NBA colleagues told him they couldn't publicly support him because they want the Chinese market. But there are some important things, the money and business, like morals, 
like principles, like values. Freedom says he will continue to stand up for what he believes in, like his mother had taught him when he was a kid, even if it means sacrificing everything. He was recently nominated for the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize. The closing ceremonies of the Winter Olympics are just two days away. Norway leads the competition with 34 medals, while the U.S. is fifth with 21. Yet, because of the doping scandal, not every medal-winning athlete will get to have their ceremony or even their medal. And TD's Dave Martin has more. For an Olympic athlete, the thrill of winning on the world's biggest stage is punctuated when they stand on that platform and receive that gold medal around their neck and then bite into it. But for those figure skating teams still in limbo, all they have so far is an empty box. We have to, you know, forego that Olympic moment standing, standing on the medal stand. And um, it is, it's hard to go home empty handed. We have our empty medal box waiting in our room and, uh, and we have no answer as to what the timeline could be for that issue to be resolved. Americans Madison Hubble and Zachary Donhu are part of Team USA's figure skating squad that finished second to the Kamila Vileva-led Russian roster in the mixed team event. But because of Vileva's positive test for a banned substance, whether they finished first or second has yet to be determined. For the skaters, the time to have their moment has passed. In the future, we're able to have an amazing experience. It, it's not at the Olympic Games. It's not for the whole world to see. It's not, um, you know, the true culmination of, of their hard work and effort, blood, sweat, and tears. They were able to meet with IOC President Thomas Bach to discuss the situation, though little can be done until Valiva's eligibility is sorted out. We didn't leave the meeting feeling, I don't think, any, any better about the situation, but at least you know, we had our chance to kind of say what it feels like to be an athlete in our in our shoes. Yet the skaters point the blame to the team around Voliva instead of the 15-year-old phenom herself. The ISU, the IOC, everyone involved has got the world looking and being like, what are you going to do to make this right? And at the center of it is this person where everyone's pointing a finger and blaming. Um, and that's awful. The story isn't about a, a young Olympian. It's about the scandal. And she's getting swallowed up in that, and I think that's terrible. The IOC has not announced any timetable on a decision, leaving not only Team USA in limbo, but even third place Japan and fourth place Canada. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Up next, a former employee of the Anaheim Angels was found guilty in the death of one of the team's pitchers. He gave the player pills laced with fentanyl. California is going to allow private citizens to enforce the state's ban on assault weapons. The new bill would prohibit marketing certain weapons to children and tighten ghost gun restrictions. Former employee of a Southern California baseball team was found guilty of selling a player drugs that led to the player's death. He'll be sentenced in Texas where the player lost his life. A former communications director with the Anaheim Angels was convicted on February 17th for selling drugs to players on the team. Eric Kay's sale of the drugs resulted in the death of Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs after overdosing on a oxycodone pill laced with fentanyl. A Texas court will sentence Kay in June. He could face at least 20 years in prison. Skaggs was found dead in his home in Texas in July 2019. The Angels were set to play the Rangers at that time. Prosecutors argued that during the trial, Kay distributed drugs to multiple players for several years. Five former players for the Angels testified against Kay during the trial, saying they received narcotics from him. Last year, Skaggs' family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Kay as well as a team. They alleged that the Angels should have known Kay was dealing drugs to players. But the team hired a former federal prosecutor to conduct an internal investigation, which found that no one in team management was aware of any employee providing opioids to any player. California is introducing a new bill that would allow normal citizens to go after gun makers in the same way Texas lets them target abortion providers. Here are the details. 
At a news conference on Friday, Governor Gavin Newsom announced he is backing legislation that would allow private citizens to enforce the state's ban on assault weapons. It's modeled after the Texas law that lets private citizens enforce that state's ban on abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected. If Texas can use a law to ban a woman's right to choose and to put her health at risk, we will use that same law to save lives and improve the health and safety of the people in the state of California, allowing you to enforce the illegal sales and manufacturing of weapons of war and assault rifles and ghost guns. By modeling the bill after the new Texas abortion law, Newsom argues that the Supreme Court will have to uphold this California law if it is challenged in court. The bill has not been filed yet, but the Associated Press reported the bill would let people seek a court order to stop the spread of these weapons. Individuals could also recover up to $10,000 in damages for each weapon, plus attorney's fees. For decades, California has banned the manufacture and sale of assault weapons. But last year, a federal judge overturned that ban. The law is still in place while the state appeals the decision. Newsom said he looks forward to signing the legislation shortly. The University of California Berkeley campus's enrollment is now limited. After losing a court case about overcrowding the city of Berkeley, the school made that makes the city famous must shrink its incoming classes. UC Berkeley may be cutting its incoming student body by about one-third this coming fall. The university announced on February 14th that it will have to cut just over 3,000 spots for incoming undergraduates. A February 10th court order requires Berkeley to reduce its admission levels to what they were several years ago. The university wrote that it would have a devastating impact on potential students. About 5,000 less admission letters will be sent out. The court order came after community group Save Berkeley's Neighborhoods filed a lawsuit saying the university's growing enrollment is harming the city. The group's website says long-term residents have been forced out of their neighborhoods. The president of the group said the high enrollment leads to displacement of lower-income renters, homelessness, and poorer environmental quality in the city. Students applying to Berkeley feel differently about the ruling. One prospective student who says she dreamed of attending Berkeley said, I honestly have no words other than my dream school has now been pushed further out of reach. Still to come, a look at China's economy. Unemployment is one of the strongest indicators of a healthy market, yet one out of every seven Chinese citizens has no stable job. Chinese authorities have a new name for the problem, but the term is raising eyebrows. And Storm Eunice batters the British Isles with record wind speeds and flying debris. At least four are dead in the UK. The extreme weather has brought widespread travel disruption and left 200,000 homes without power. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Unemployment numbers are an indicator of economic health, but what does data look like in China? The official figure is a little higher than 5%, a relatively normal stat that represents a healthy market. But that number only applies to populous cities. For the rest, controversy surrounds what some have called a trick to recording the figure. Here's more. Exactly how much of China's population is without stable jobs? Figures recently released by China's Statistics Bureau say 200 million are unemployed. As of the end of last year, that makes up one-seventh of the country's population. But Chinese authorities call unemployment by a different name, flexible employment. What is flexible employment? Chinese authorities and citizens seem to differ on what exactly it means. Officially, they're considered temporary workers, like delivery drivers, internet shop owners, housekeepers, and ride-hail drivers, among others. But a resident from Henan province says the term is just a nice word for unemployment. He used to work in Guangzhou City, but after going back to Henan, he too is one of those with so-called flexible employment. The name is very nice. It is like the so-called situation of college students going to the countryside to seek employment. We are actually unemployed. U.S.-based Chinese economist Li Heqing says it's harder for young people to seek employment in China's current market. 
Especially now, the pressure of the economic downturn is huge. How could there be so many new jobs? In addition, the regime has closed many industries, such as the education and training industry. It forcibly closed them. In this increasingly severe situation, the young people face more pressure in seeking employment. What's more, the regime's strict zero-tolerance policy towards the pandemic has brought more instability. Official data shows that by last July, the unemployment rate for 16 to 24-year-olds soared to 16 percent. On top of that, millions of migrant workers left manufacturing hubs and went back to their hometowns. Those people partially make up China's 200 million with flexible employment. According to the South China Morning Post, a Chinese state-backed newspaper, about 4.4 million small enterprises in China went bankrupt in the first 11 months of last year, adding fuel to the country's already dire economic situation amid the pandemic. Worth noting, workers with flexible employment don't have pensions, medical insurance or occupational injury insurance, nor does the regime have programs in place to help them. Li believes the issue will bring about major problems in the future. This will be a big social problem in the future, but the current regime can't think that far ahead. Now they're thinking about how to survive. The regime's fiscal revenue has shrunk a lot, so now they cannot even guarantee a stable income for government workers. So it's impossible to give those so-called self-employed people more benefits and security. Experts say current numbers of those with flexible employment far exceed the official report. They also point out that as China's economy continues to decline, those flexible employment figures will keep rising, meaning the country's employment situation will get even harder to stabilize. Li noted that the apparent beautification of unemployment by using the term flexible employment shows that Chinese authorities aren't able to solve the problem, especially for young people. So instead, they tried to make the issues sound less severe. In the years to come, the pressure on employment will likely get even bigger. Shields up against cyber attacks. That's what top officials are saying to the American private sector. This as the White House formally accuses Russia of cyber attacks in Ukraine. NTD's Iris Tao has more. We believe that the Russian government is responsible for wide-scale cyber attacks on Ukrainian banks this week. The U.S. is blaming Russia for what Ukraine called the largest cyber attack it has ever seen. We have technical information that links Russian, the Russian Main Intelligence Directorate, or GRU, as known GRU infrastructure was seen transmitting high volumes of communication to Ukraine-based IP addresses and domains. Ukraine has accused Russia of targeting major banks and its defense ministry, which Kremlin denied. But both the U.S. and U.K. on Friday named Russia the culprit, with the White House warning that this might not be the end of it. could look like in laying the groundwork for more disruptive cyber attacks accompanying a potential further invasion. Another top official is also cautioning American companies to prepare for cyber threats. Given the, the very high tensions that we are experiencing, companies of any size and of all sizes would be foolish not to be preparing right now as we speak um, to increase their defenses. And as for what they need to do? They need to be, as we say, shields up. Um, and to be really on the most heightened level of, of alert that they can be and taking all necessary precautions. Of the most sophisticated technology. The White House on Friday added that Western allies are now converging on the final sanctions package against Russia. Reporting Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. President Vladimir Putin has ordered the Russian government to house and feed people leaving two self-proclaimed East Ukrainian breakaway republics. It comes after Russian-backed separatists announced the sudden surprise evacuation of their regions following a recent increase in shelling. It's a sudden turn in a conflict the West believes Moscow plans to use to justify an all-out invasion of its neighbor. We've got more from NTD's Trevor Piper. Sirens blaring in Donetsk on Friday, the capital of one of the two rebel regions in eastern Ukraine. It came after Russian-backed separatists announced the sudden surprise evacuation of people from Donetsk and other parts of the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic. 
The other self-proclaimed region, Luhansk, made a similar announcement. It's a sudden turn in a conflict the West believes Moscow plans to use to justify an all-out invasion of its neighbor. Millions of civilians are believed to live in the two rebel-held regions of eastern Ukraine. Many have already been granted Russian citizenship. The announcement came after the conflict zone saw increased artillery bombardment with Kiev and the separatists trading blame. The Kremlin said President Vladimir Putin ordered the Russian government to house and feed people leaving the breakaway republics once they arrived in southern Russia. Putin told Kiev on Friday to sit down for negotiations with the separatists and called for the implementation of the Minsk peace process. French President Emmanuel Macron said on Friday he had heard reports of several casualties in the region. Over the last days, Russia has said it started drawing down troops near Ukraine. But Washington said it had instead done the opposite, ramping up its forces to 190,000 troops from 100,000 at the end of January. Trevor Piper, NTD News. Storm Eunice, one of the worst storms in a generation, swept to the British Isles today, claiming at least four lives, three people in England and one in Ireland. Here are the details. A man in southeast London was injured by falling masonry, and a woman was taken to hospital with serious head injuries after she was hit by debris in Henley-on-Thames. The Met Office said the Isle of Wight saw wind speeds of 122 miles per hour, the highest gust ever recorded in England. The office issued two ultra-red weather warnings, one for the east of England and London and the other for Devon, Cornwall, Somerset and the south coast of Wales. Millions of people have been urged to stay at home, with hundreds of schools, roads and businesses should. More than 140,000 properties were left without power in the southwest, England and Wales. Footage shows units ripping off sections of the roof at the O2 Arena, with some falling into the River Thames. The venue, formerly known as the Millennium Dome, hosts major events including concerts. No trains were operating in Wales and services out of London were severely disrupted. Network Rail said a tree, believed to be about 50 feet long, blocked tracks south of West London. Footage broadcast by Jet TV shows some airplanes struggling to land in high winds at Heathrow. Passenger planes were battered by gusts of winds, with some bouncing upon landing and others diverting. Parts of Northern England and Scotland saw significant snowfall. Storm Eunice began in the Central Atlantic and was spun up from the Azores towards Europe by the jet stream. Other Northern European countries have also been slammed by Storm Eunice. Falling trees killed three people in the Netherlands and high winds sent a crane crashing onto the roof of a hospital in Belgium. The storm is likely to cause insurance losses of 272 to 476 million dollars due to property damage, according to accounting firm PwC. And Paris commuters faced severe disruptions today as public transportation workers staged a one-day strike. They're protesting what they say are insufficient salary increase proposals that are not in keeping with inflation. Here's more. On Friday, most metro lines in Paris were not functioning, and the driverless ones that were running were packed with Parisians hoping to get to where they needed to be on time. It was not complicated to get into Paris, but now to get around Paris, even the metro lines that run normally are blocked for incidents, and the public transport staff are unable to tell us where we should go. So I find it unacceptable that even the staff cannot inform their customers. The government has advised Parisians to work from home on Friday, as many had become accustomed to over the past two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the many commuters for whom that was not an option had to make alternative transport arrangements to get to work. It's tricky. I made arrangements. I put on clothing suitable for walking. It was already announced, so I was able to organize myself. Remote work has been set up for those who could do it. I think there are far few people using train transportation thanks to remote work, and I think that once people arrive in Paris, they will have to do a lot more walking. Paris has not seen a metro strike on this scale since the COVID-19 pandemic started in March 2020. Coming up, a Paris art dealer pays tribute to one of France's most famed sculptures from the 19th century. He's famous for representing feminine grace with elegance with the utmost skill, and his masterpieces decorated the French capital during his time. 
The Sydney Opera House is using a creative way to prevent seagulls from ruining customers' food. They're hiring trained patrol dogs to chase off the birds. Stay tuned to find out more. An art gallery in Paris is paying tribute to one of the most important and innovative sculptors of 19th century France. Most notably, he was the teacher of Auguste Rodin and is responsible for important public monuments in Paris. NTD's France correspondent David Vives brings us this story. In the 19th century, Paris was transformed. After a long series of developments, the City of Light, as it is sometimes called, saw a great number of statues going up on its avenues and parks. In a small street near the opera, an art dealer decided to honor one of the most skilled sculptures of his time, Albert Ernest Carriabellus. Carriabellus had considerable impact on the art and careers of younger sculptors who worked for him, most notably Auguste Rodin. Carrier Bellus was a very important sculptor who contributed a lot to the decoration of Paris. He created great masterpieces such as the Dossier Autambura at the foot of the grand staircase of the opera. Jean-François Bourriot was born in the same small town as Carrier Bellus more than 120 years later. He says he's happy to present his exhibition as a tribute to the sculpture. This one is called Woman Bathing and Cat. It has been created with Carrara marble, a very particular marble we can find in the northwest of Italy. It was used by the greatest sculptors. Carrara marble is a white marble with a texture similar to human skin. It is known to reflect light in the way skin does. Art expert Stéphanie Véron says it's used to represent woman's body in the most graceful way. Women had a leading role in the pieces created by Carrière Bellus in general. In 19th century society, women had a great deal of power over political decisions, artistic developments and current thought at the time, albeit perhaps in a more subdued way. Here the central point of the sculpture is to depict feminine gentleness. During the 19th century, more elaborate sculptures came about as techniques evolved. These statues were made using terracotta mold. The sculpture added these details showing clothes or ornaments. A lot of this kind of statues were sold to the Paris bourgeoisie. According to Véron, Carriabellus promoted feminine grace and elegance through his art. She says Carriabellus used a fantasy style to represent the ideal of beauty. This representation of a fantasy bust perfectly illustrates both Carriabellus's taste for female representation and the level of excellence of the production of his workshop. Véron says Carriabellus promoted feminine grace and elegance through his art. Some sculptures also depict mythological themes following the standards of Renaissance art. This is the mythological theme of Cupid and Psyche. It showcases the topic of courtly love. It captures the precise moment when she approaches him with her oil lamp. As she's getting closer to Cupid, she discovers the face of her mysterious lover. It's a rather unusual composition and is rare in sculpture. According to Bouillot, the desire for statues faded in the early 20th century. But in the many places of the capital, their presence is here to last. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Many tourists visit the Sydney Opera House and eat at the opera bar that offers a view of the harbour. But they have to deal with seagulls swooping and ruining their food. Now, trained patrol dogs are helping the bar deter the birds and making sure the customers can enjoy their meals. Let's take a look. Restaurants on Sydney's promenade first tried hiring trained dog patrols in 2018. The general manager of one of the restaurants yes. says they've noticed that seagull attacks dropped by 80 to 85 percent since then. He says they've been able to reduce food costs and customers are having a better experience. It's been a game changer, you could say, and, and hospitality. We're not having to chase after birds and the amount of food replacements, broken glasses, broken plates, you know. It's been absolutely amazing. The dogs and their handlers patrol the promenade and chase away the seagulls. 
The company that provides the service currently has 12 to 13 canines on rotation. They're rostered on every day with double shifts on the weekends. We do use your dogs that already have a um, temperament that's more inclined to chase things, I suppose. So like your working breeds, like your Kelpies and your cattle dogs and stuff. So they've already naturally got that instinct. Um, we kind of just tap into that <laughs> and um, yeah, let them chase the birds. The dog handler says diners sometimes look confused and don't get what they're doing. But after they figure out, they will show how much they appreciate it. And then you'll go on your five minute break to take the dog to the toilet and you come back and they're like, oh, that's what she's doing because the birds come back. <laughs> um, so then they generally pull you aside and they're like, oh, this is amazing. Like last time we were here, it wasn't this great. Like, you know, we really like what you guys are doing. So they generally love, love it. Diners also say the dogs make the atmosphere of the venues more pleasant. It makes eating at the opera bar much pleasant and um, we don't need to be covering our food constantly and we don't need to be shooing away seagulls or stomping and you can actually enjoy your time here at the opera bar so it's a great initiative. We actually were really impressed because uh, she's really like cute and friendly and she's really good. Seeing that the initiative is working well, the Sydney Opera House has signed up the dogs for the foreseeable future. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.